0: Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. For any of you who are first-time listeners, we want to welcome you in to the fold here. But for those of you who have been here from the start, you already know the drill. We live and die by this team, just like all of you, and we make no apologies for that. I am your host, Jason Kelly. I'm coming to you from Canton, Massachusetts. You can find me rambling on Twitter at color of the iris. You can find the podcast account at bastards underscore Boston. Joining me on the show tonight from the city of Reading, Pennsylvania, is Micah Storms. Micah, how you doing?
1: Doing great. Uh, always good to be talking after a series win. I was a little a little worried over the weekend, but uh, feel much better after the last two days. Yeah,
0: they turned it around, that's for sure. And where can folks find you on Twitter?
1: I am at Ballpark Buzz on Twitter.
0: Awesome. And also joining us from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, by way of Wyndham, Maine, is Terry Cushman. Terry, how's it going?
2: Good, good. I, I think we're like into the grind part of the baseball season now. We kind of sort of know what's what. Maybe, maybe we do less than other teams because our rotation is still a bit unsettled. But still, it's a daily thing, and it's on to the next one, and we're just kind of taking it as it comes. Um, the standings real quick, the, uh, Red Sox win a series. So we snapped that little mini bad streak that we had. We're back to four games above 500, but still in sole possession of last place in the American League East eight games back from the Tampa Bay Rays. So it was down to just two games over. After we lose game one, but the Red Sox kind of kind of rallied there. But before before you start taking us through it, Jason, I just want to say it's it was good to win the series, but I don't feel much better about our pitching going forward. I mean, Nick Pavetta seemingly demoted to the bullpen. He was uh, hanging out there tonight. Uh, we saw late in the game. Kind of messing around with a tablet. Um, Tanner Houck, another another start where it was going okay, but unraveled quickly. And uh, and then Bayo just kind of I don't know grinding through each start. We spoke about it a minute ago. Not a step backwards, but at the same time, not a step forwards with five walks. So um, hopefully they get it together here.
0: Yeah. And, you know, we'll be talking about a lot of pitching on our second show, uh, the roundtable episode. Um, just a little tease there for you guys. A lot of pitching coming in that episode. But you're right. it's still hasn't fully hit its stride yet. And, you know, we were talking before we came on the air about last week we thought we were running into the Cardinals at a good time. That kind of backfired on us. But we also felt like we were running into Seattle at a good time. And in a way, we did. Um, pitching wise, maybe it wasn't there, but the offense was there. We outscored them 22 to 17 in the three games. So for any of you betters out there, if you hit the over, um, or if you bet the over it hit because a lot of runs being scored these last three games,
2: 10 runs in the Cardinal series, 22, uh, in this Mariner series and, uh, 21 of them coming in games two and three. We only scored one. So it was looking like, uh, you know, if you bet the under after game one, you were safe. But we exploded, uh, you know, for whatever the over might have been. And speaking of betting attention, Massachusetts and Connecticut listeners, we have an awesome limited time promo for new DraftKings users to deposit and place a five dollar wager on any sport to get $150 instantly added to your account and bonus bets, win or lose. All you have to do is use our code BASTARDS at sign up to redeem. Using our code BASTARDS is a great way to support the pod. So if you don't yet have a DraftKings account, do us a solid and sign up with the code BASTARDS and place that first bet. New customers only, 21 plus, and physically present in Massachusetts and Connecticut. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-327-5050. Valid one offer per customer. Minimum $5 deposit and $5 wager required. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets and expire seven days after being awarded see full terms at draftkings.com
0: all right awesome well as you guys know on the midweek show we'd like to do our top five for each series and the red Sox come away with a series win so we're going to give you the top five uh most contributing members a lot a lot of guys to choose from but uh, we just barreled down, down to five so micah lead us off who's coming in at number five
1: Coming in at number five is an addition by subtraction, and that is the fact that we did not have to watch Ryan Brazier pitch in this series. Um, It was a weird spot, a weird feeling on Sunday night because the Red Sox got swept, and yet Red Sox fans were so pumped because Brazier was gone and off the team. Um, But what I really noticed in this series is with uh, Ryan Sheriff and Justin Garza, they were pitching very low leverage situations, but they were able to get outs. Something that Ryan Brazier and even Caleb Ort could not do. Um, Sheriff and Garza combined for four innings, gave up one hit and no runs. And it's just you don't have to keep going to other pitchers to get those outs that you should not have to worry about in a when the game's out of out of control or in control. And I, I noticed it, and I'm sure other uh, Red Sox fans noticed it that it just you didn't see Brazier coming out of the bullpen and go, oh my gosh, here we go again. Is he going to get three outs? Um, yeah, I don't miss that at all. I didn't miss it at one for one second in this series. Um, so I, I thought it was noticeable. Terry.
2: The Ryan Brazier era lasted probably two years longer than necessary. You know, if, if you look at it, he came in in mid-2018 and just went on a tear. And then he wasn't so great in 2019, and then he benefited from a short 2020 season and kind of reestablished some confidence, you know, with the Red Sox front office, including from me. I thought, well, maybe that was a bounce-back season. And it was all misery after that. So the fact that he's not coming out of this pen... Uh, is, is huge, you know, I, I, it's just, it was never comfortable and uh, I don't know what the, you know, the season's going to be like for, uh, Ryan Sheriff and, uh, this Garza kid that we claimed off of waivers from, um, the angels, but it's just glad that we can, I'm just glad we can finally close that chapter. And just while we're at it, I I asked on social media, I said, well, who's who's the new least popular Red Sox player? And uh, the two most common answers, let's see, one was uh, Kluber and the other was Kike. So one of those two guys could be the next punching bag. I think Kike kind of bounced back, uh, you know, actually, oh no, I'm sorry, my bad. Um, He was activated tonight, but uh, it was the only game he played, but... I I think I think Kike, though, will will be um, OK. <laughs> the other guy, Kluber. Not so sure. Yeah,
0: well, and, and let's all make sure that we light a candle for Pete Abraham, who was very upset on Twitter that people were celebrating the DFA of Ryan Brazier. <laughs> um, so it upon himself to be just good old Pete. A, just, you know, have, having to piss on everyone's parade. Yeah. Um, But it's true. I mean, like, you look at a game like today where they're up 12-3, to and if Ryan Brazier were to come into the game, you'd go, okay, nine runs should be okay, should be okay, but, you know, still a little bit risky. Like, and that's the scary thing is it's not even a joke. Like, he would come in and give up just four or five runs because the lead is so wide that he just, I don't know, like, reverse psychology with him, and he just, you know, give up the farm, so... Um, it's definitely, we can all breathe a sigh of relief that he's not here anymore. I agree with Terry. That experiment lasted two years too long. Um, and look, you know, I'm sure he's a nice guy and everything, but he can't pitch. He can't pitch at the major league level. So, you know, they had to get rid of him. You're a contending team now, you know, make sure that bullpen is operating the way it should be. So it's a good move. And, you know, who knows down the line, what Sheriff and and Garza are going to give you. You know, I know Joel Lee is still kind of getting his feet wet after getting off the I.L. as well. But at the end of the day, it's a positive move for your bullpen. So can't go wrong with that for sure. Um, So coming in at number four, Terry, who's number four on the list?
2: That will be a guy who is almost legendary already in Boston. Masataki Yoshida. I had game one off, but uh, did play games two and three, drove in three runs uh, in game two, Uh, drove in a run today. Um, You know, it was a a hit parade today, so it didn't quite stand out as much, but really helped uh, put the game out of reach uh, in the first game. And um, it, it just seems like when Yoshida is hot, so are the Red Sox. We don't lose many games when Masataki Yoshida is going on a tear. So he had a bit of a slump there. Um, you know the ground ball curse kind of set back in, and uh, you know he wasn't uh, he wasn't getting a whole lot of hits here. I'm just looking back at the Cardinal series. Um, yeah, he was three for ten last series and uh, didn't really uh, didn't drive in a run actually. So. Hopefully um, this is just the start of another run, and, you know, it's possible he he might be a little bit on the streaky side, but he certainly uh, continues to exceed the expectations that I had uh, at the start of the season because, you know, I was as skeptical as anyone. So good series for Masa. Micah, thoughts on Yoshida? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I agree with Terry that when he goes, the Red Sox seem to go. I mean, he was off in game one, and they scored one run. And then in the first inning of game two, Verdugo beats out that ground ball, and then Yoshida lines a ball off the center field wall, and now the Red Sox are going, and then they, it leads to a big inning. So um, he is crucial to this lineup, and I like how – He's kind of moving around. He's not just sticking to, you know, hitting fourth or second. He's kind of moving all around the the lineup, which I like that. Um, I almost don't want to see him pull a baseball ever again because it seems like when he wants to pull the baseball or he tries to, it just ends up in a ground ball to the right side. When he stays to the middle of the field or to the opposite field, I mean, that's where he does a lot of his damage. Um, I I, I think – there's definitely pull power in there, but I think it it just it, it's too tempting and it, it he gets too quick and he rolls over. So I like when he stays in the middle of the field and uh, he's he's been huge for this team to start the season. i i' I had high expectations for him, um but I think he's even exceeded my expectations so far.
0: Yeah, I said in spring training that Yoshida was the guy I was most excited to watch on on this team in terms of new guys who were just coming into the fold. Obviously, we were all excited to see Devers again, and we all were excited in one way or another to see what Chris Sale could bring us, stuff like that. But of all the newcomers, Yoshida was the one I was really excited about. And all the good things that we were sold about Yoshida, he's delivering on. Play discipline, yeah, it's there. It's hard to strike him out. He can hit to all fields. Yep. Like you said, Micah, like that's when he's at his best is when he's not just trying to pull the ball, you know, to right field when he's, you know, hitting it the other way or, you know, just finding that soft part of the infield defense and just, you know, grounding one right through him. Um, That's when he's at his best. His swing is like so smooth and so quick. Um, And you know what? Like, I don't think he's going to hit more than 20, 25 home runs. You know, like that's probably his ceiling. That's fine, like that. That's all you need. What you need him to do is what he's doing right now: getting on base, hitting doubles, you know, moving the offense along, and being a catalyst at times. And that's absolutely what he's been. And they've moved him around the lineup a couple of times, and it doesn't seem to affect him at all, which is also good to see. Some hitters get in their own heads about that. Sander Bogarts was infamous for that. He he hated being moved around the lineup. Um, Yoshida doesn't bother him. You can hit him second. You could hit him fifth, fourth, doesn't matter. He's gonna produce. So he's just been such a, a key addition. And that contract is looking better and better by the day. Um, you know, I, I know he's probably not at the top of the rookie of the year leaderboard, but he's gotta be at least top three because the season he's having so far, he if he keeps his pace, it's gonna be hard to find someone who's having a better rookie season. And I know he's a twenty nine year old rookie, but you get my point. It's, it's going to be tough. So
2: if you look at his spray chart, he does damage to all fields. And most of his right field damage is, you know, is right down the line. And his his home runs are all over the place. It's just a perfect mix of, of home runs. He's gone over the monster. He's gone 400 plus feet out to straightaway center and you know he he's had a you know a couple down the the right field line, but I mean he's just a good hitter. He's just a good hitter and uh, a high on base guy. His um, his whiff rate is elite. You know, in terms of you know not not swinging at junk and um, his ex- exit velocity top eighty four percent. It's just. I mean, I I thought there was a very little chance that that we would sign a player like this. I mean, I I gave this take all winter long, but other than Otani, who's a unicorn, you got to go all the way back to Matsui to to the last great bat to come out of any of the Asian markets, and he's doing it. I mean, he he could be. He's probably not gonna. Eclipse Ichiro in terms of hits and all that. But, and I don't know if offensively he'll overtake Otani. I guess that's possible. Um, but, you know, obviously Otani's going to be an ace pitcher for the next, you know, five, six plus years, but he's going to be one of the greatest to, to ever cross the ocean and play over here is if he keeps us up and, I mean, these were his numbers over in Japan. So I I, I think we kind of have to start buying in.
0: Yeah, I would say if you haven't bought in yet, (laughs) you probably should, because I don't think he's going to slow down anytime soon. Like you said, you know, maybe he has an off series here and there where, you know, BABIP gods get to him and, you know, he just doesn't have that much luck. But otherwise, I don't think you have to worry about him, you know, turning into Jackie Bradley Jr. and going Oh, for 29 for, you know, three weeks or whatever the hell. So, um, yeah, he's he's part of that Red Sox outfield that suddenly has become, you know, the strength of the team. You know, going into the season, we weren't sure. We had no idea what that outfield was going to be like. And now, you know, once Duvall gets back, it's going to be super crowded out there. You know, they're, they're going to have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to outfielders. So he's definitely a big part of that. Um, and speaking of outfielders, is another one who made the top five here. Uh, Micah, who's number three on the list?
1: Coming in at number three is Jaron Duran with another stellar series. He was five for ten with four runs, two RBIs, and had a home run. Um, I tweeted today that Duran led the Red Sox in F4 and WRC+. And it just it was mind-blowing. And he's even he, – coming in today, he was 15th in all of baseball at F-War. And that just is crazy because he, he's played 10, 15 less games than the guys um, ahead of him on that list. And it just shows how hot he's been. And it, it's been sustained now for three-plus weeks, four weeks. Um, after the game uh, yesterday, Jemai Webster interviewed him, and he had missed the ball in center field. And he was like, you know, I just, that's a ball I have to have. You know, I wanted to make that play for my teammate. Um, but it, it, he just, he's able to turn the page if he makes a mistake or he doesn't make a play where last year it was like he he made a mistake or he struck out in a big spot and it was like, well, there goes Duran for the game. It, it just seemed like he could not overcome any type of major adversity. And now it's just, he's able to flip, flip the page and go on and make the next play. I mean, it's a completely different player that we are watching this year as opposed to last year. And I mean, with Yoshida Duran and Verdugo, I mean, do they have the best outfield in baseball with those three? I mean, I think you would have a really hard time finding a better three than those three. I mean, they've been consistent. They, 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 they're different. You know, they're not the boppers that some of these other teams have in the outfield, but they're all three are playing just at a high level right now. Um, And if you haven't bought stock in Duran, I I don't know what more he has to do to really um, to prove that this is who he is. Terry.
2: That's a great question. I mean, without having, you know, the stats up in front of me, maybe they don't hit the most home runs of, of any outfield, but they certainly could have the most hits and the highest on base percentage. And they're just so dynamic at the plate. And it's also unique in that they're all lefties. When have we ever seen that in our history uh, as far as three everyday players? And I'm still skeptical, you know, as we go down the stretch, you know, having all these lefties, we might be susceptible um, you know, to, you know, to getting shut down here and there. I think it could certainly be a problem in the playoffs when strategy is king, you know, not not saying we're going to make the playoffs this year. I'm not buying into that, but um, so it's a very unique outfield. We've never seen anything like it. And um, Duran's emergence is, I mean, I never thought, I never thought he would, have a run like this we were talking at various points throughout the winter that he was literally a dfa candidate because we might need his 40-man spot and you know nobody could have foreseen well, i shouldn't say that he's somewhat injury prone that you know adam duvall would miss a, a huge chunk of the season i mean you didn't you didn't pay Yoshida eighteen million for him to platoon at all, and of course Verdugo, for as long as he's here, he's going to be an everyday starter. So it just seemed very unlikely that Duran would not only get this opportunity but take it and thrive. It's just unreal, and I didn't love that play uh, in Game Two where he dove for the ball, and it led to you know led to a couple of runs. Um, it was a very aggressive play, but probably one that a, a savvier outfielder doesn't try to go for. Um But aside from that little blip, I mean, I'm just impressed. Like defensively, he's he's reading it off the bat so much better in most cases. And he's making a lot of plays that would have looked extremely difficult a year ago, now look really easy. So... The, the only thing I'd like to see is the strikeout rate come down in some of these previous series. Um, it, it, has, uh, it has been pretty low. Against the Cardinals, uh, only two strikeouts the whole series. He did strike out a bit more uh, in this series as I get my notes mixed up. I think he struck out, let's see, five times uh, in this series. Nope, four times, but still. You know, 10 at-bats, you'd like to see him strike out a little bit less. And you'd like to see the walks come up a little bit. You know, if you start seeing the walks, if he could draw two or three walks per series, suddenly, you know, you have to buy in. You absolutely have to. And I'm like like 95% of the way there that he could be an everyday outfielder, you know, for the rest of his career.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Confidence is a game changer and he just seems a hundred times more confident than he was last season. Last season, he looked like a deer in the headlights at times and sort of like what you guys were saying. It's like if he made a mistake, he just, you know, he looked crushed and like just looked like he had no confidence in himself and it showed, you know, he played poorly because of it. This year, you know, not only is he making plays because of that, but even if he does have a bad play, like he did in this series, where look, he laid out for a ball that he thought he could he could make a dive and catch on, squirt it by him, you know, cost us two runs. You know, that was a kind of a nightmare inning for for Nick Pavetta there. But he bounced back. You know, he 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 didn't get too down on himself. He knew he made a mistake, but he still had a good offensive series the rest of the way. You know, he didn't let it completely crush him and, and bury him. So um, his, his confidence is at an all-time high right now. And a player like that, I think, you know, it's going to translate on the field when he's feeling that way. And maybe this is all stemming from the work he did with Dustin Pedroia. You know, we, we keep hearing about it. Pedroia worked on, with him on his batting stance and getting his hands higher. I wouldn't be shocked if Pedroia also worked on him with his confidence. You know, Dustin Pedroia, like him or hate him, was one of the most confident, at times, cocky players of his time. Um, that's how he made it, you know, because so many people ruled him out and he just sort of was, had that F that attitude and, you know, went out there with that attitude every single game. Maybe he instilled a little bit of that in Duran. Um, now cautiously, I don't want him doing it too much because, you know, you do have to have some level of, of, you know, humility in there and not just, you know, thinking that you can make every play and that you're an absolute superstar, but if it helps, Boost him up a little bit, and this is the Jaron Duran we're going to get as a result, then adds off to him, you know. And that's, um, that's nothing but a positive for the Red Sox. So it's great to see, like, like we said, that outfield just continues to produce. You know, Mike, you asked the question, like, is there a better outfield out there? The only one I can think of is Atlanta, but they've got Marcelo Zuna playing out there. So it's not looking great for them. I mean, Acuna and Michael Harris are great, but. That's like the only team I could think that could come close.
2: Um, he, he's come on a little bit, uh, Marcelo Zuna, oh, in the last up. couple of weeks. Yeah, he had, I think the week before last, he had four home runs. I haven't looked at this week. He's on like one of my seven fantasy teams, but um, he, he is starting to turn around. He'll never be a good defender, though. <laughs> like Duran <No>, <laughs> has already eclipsed that him. Yeah. Quick question on Duran before we move on. I'm trying to get his uh, overall numbers. Where are we? You could tell I'm just like a mess. The show. Um, so it, he's hitting 351 on the season. Um, his batting average is still sitting at uh, 406, and even in the last month, I mean, he's hitting 361 uh, with a with actually a 418. So. He's, you know, he's picking that up a little bit. Does he have any chance of maybe finishing 8th to 10th in the MVP voting? If, If this keeps up. I mean, it's still a relatively small sample size, but it just doesn't, it's not crashing at any point. I mean, we've seen Reese McGuire finally take a bit of a dive. He's finally hitting under 200. And um, I think Verdugo might have even slipped a little bit, uh, you know, in some of the categories. But I just feel like, I mean, what's the ceiling here? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I could see it more realistically,
0: I could see him contending for like a batting title um just because of his you know his speed and his ability to stretch out a lot of you know a lot of base hits that way. I don't think that he has the power, the consistent power to be in any sort of MVP conversation. I mean he you know he's showing a little bit of pop and I mean his freaking arms are massive. I mean the guy obviously hits the gym like nobody's business, but I, I still think he tops out as like a twenty home run guy. You know, I I so in terms of MVP, that's going to hurt him a little bit. But batting title, that kind of thing, maybe, maybe that's the ceiling. I mean, maybe he is what the Red Sox wanted Ben to be for so many years. They wanted Ben Intende to be just a really good, pure hitter, you know, close to 200 hits every season with a little bit of pop. And it never happened for him. Maybe Duran is that guy. You know, maybe he's got the chance to do it.
2: I'm trying to find. Um... Pedroya's uh, let's see, here we go. I'm just curious as to what he was at for 2008. So I got it right here. So Pedroya led the league in runs, hits. Yeah, he led the league in doubles. So, yeah, I guess not. But it's just, he's just off the charts right now. So it's just hard to not be teased with, you know, these fantasies, I guess. Yep. Yeah, Micah.
1: I don't know about batting title or MVP votes, but I, I think with how he's played thus far, could he make an all-star team as a, as a bench player? Is, is that a possibility, do you think? I would say. Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah, I think so. And, and Yoshida yeah. will be starting that game. <laughs> I'm going uh, to boldly predict.
0: Yeah, Red Sox could in some way they could have all three of those outfielders on the All Star team based on even if it's not as starters. Like, yeah, bench players or replacements. Yeah,
2: true. It does come down to voting, though, doesn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah, but Red Sox have a good market for that. They, you know, fans should show up for the voting. But typically, the smaller market teams tend to take over the voting. Remember that year the Royals did that, where. It was like all Royals. Were, they had were like the voting
2: six out of nine or something. That's true. It was yeah.
0: ridiculous that year. Yeah. So unfortunately, the smaller market teams, their fans tend to care more about that stuff. So we'll see. Maybe maybe Red Sox Nation shows out for them, but uh, it might be a little tough. Um, so moving on to number two on our top five, the most unlikely of players. I, I, you know, talking about betting. I mean, you couldn't have guessed that this guy would even be anywhere near the top five. Um, but it's Pablo Reyes, a guy who the Red Sox literally just paid the Oakland Athletics for. They just paid cash consideration to Oakland for Pablo Reyes, a utility guy who hits lefties pretty well. That's what he was billed as, you know, sort of like another Rob Snyder. And he, has, he came in this series and just went off both at the plate and defensively making leaping catches, you know, really nice plays in the infield. Um, Went five for 12 at the plate, drove in four runs in the game on Wednesday. Um, You know, just a a good sort of sparky utility guy. And, you know, he's obviously a good athlete. He's kind of bounced around a little bit. He was with the pirates for a little bit, you know, Oakland's like he was just wasting away there with that stupid team. And he comes here Because of injuries and whatnot gets a chance to play and you know all of a sudden here we go Red Sox not only is their lineup churning out runs but even their bench is doing it um and we even saw Pablo Reyes take the mound in in game one which wasn't as impressive uh, (laughs) admittedly topping out at 35 miles an hour with these big looping uh you know EFIS pitches essentially but hey you know every little bit helps and I always feel like When the Red Sox are going well, they always have a player like this who comes in out of nowhere, you know, he's destined for the bench, but he just, he becomes a guy. He becomes sort of an unexpected, you know, big-time role player. And, you know, we'll see what happens once, you know, guys get healthier and does Pablo Reyes stick around after this series? Or, you know, does he get more playing time and turn back into a pumpkin? We don't know. That, That could very well happen, too. But for right now, you've got Ref Snyder and Reyes, two guys on your bench that left-handed pitchers don't want to see, frankly. So that's always a good thing to have. Again, it just adds to the depth that they have, and he's a good defender. So, you know, there's always a place for guys who play good defense in this league. So impressive stuff from him. Um, I'm curious to see how much more playing time he gets and if he can hang around on the roster. So, Micah, what were your thoughts on Reyes?
1: I mean, he's got to be on cloud nine because, I mean, he was rotting in not on the Oakland Athletics. He was rotting in their AAA uh, affiliate. And it's like, I mean, you go from a complete dumpster fire of an organization to the Boston Red Sox and starting shortstop. I mean, that is I, there's no way he could even dreamed something like this was possible last week when we were talking um, about, about the Red Sox series against the Blue Jays there was just no way i mean now he he's starting and i mean who knows how long this goes it, what i do like about him is he doesn't strike out a lot i mean he's he's a career his career k rate is under 20% so you know a guy who can put the ball in play you know he's not trying to hit a home run uh, they were talking on the the, the, the post game out know, he's just his double today his his swing was so flat on the three-two pitch because he's not trying to hit a home run. We don't. Nobody wants Pablo Reyes to hit a home run. I mean, I'd be okay if he did it, but you're not expecting him for power. If he, he gets a single, gets on base, plays good defense, that's really all you need um, him to do. And the more production they can get for for however long he can he can play and play productively, it just pushes the line a little closer to can we get Trevor story back where we don't have a black hole at shortstop, because that's what it kind of felt like for a while where there was no production. So if Pablo Reyes can, can play well for another week or two, and then we get Trevor story in four weeks, like it's just, we're bridging the gap and maybe Pablo Reyes is that gap to that bridge to, to Trevor story. I don't know. I, it was just crazy to see a guy that, like you said, nobody would have expected. And he's number two on this list. And you probably could have made a case he was number one. He was that good this series.
2: Sorry. So I think Christian Arroyo probably has a lot more to be concerned about now because we got a guy who's a pretty good defender, uh, does damage against lefties. Um, He had only started five games last season. So only five games since 2021, uh, before we called him up, he's actually played five games exactly for us, uh, his whole career, he's, he's had 151, uh, games only of which 64 of those were starts. So he's a career utility guy, uh, you know, not never been a everyday starter. Unfortunately, I don't think he will be, um, on our roster either, but he could certainly play a valuable role. And then Jason, to just kind of build on his success against lefties, he's a career uh, 291 hitter with a 348 on base against lefties. So I'm looking at this and I'm thinking to myself, why, why has he never really gotten a, a chance to at least be a platoon guy? Why not? I mean, what looking through his stats and splits, like what's on there to suggest he shouldn't be is the crazy thing. And then we got him for money. That's it. We just paid money and we got him. So uh, you guys know more than anything. I hate giving Heinblum credit, but I mean, it was a, it was a pretty decent find and I'm kind of hoping Emmanuel Valdez, uh, you know, kind of figures it out defensively because I still think he has a great bat. I think he's, I think Valdez is a very high IQ guy in the batter's box. He doesn't try to do too much, and I like what I'm seeing out of him. Um, So back to Reyes, though, I I don't see why he won't have a role here. Uh, You know, if he keeps this up, at least against lefties. And I mean, he was doing damage today off of a righty, you know. So uh, it's not like he's terrible. What are his righty splits? Yeah. So his career numbers drop, you know, with righties. Two sixteen hitter with a, a two ninety on base, but still, still. And uh, we, we need a we need a Pablo to be a legend in Boston after the last one. So. <laughs>
0: Yeah, this is a much more positive Pablo experience. That that is yeah, certainly so true.
2: Already, he will. I'm willing to give him a statue over the other guy. Yep.
0: <laughs> it's so true. It's all it took. Yeah, just a couple of games, and already he's the best Pablo we've had. <laughs> so, um, and I, I do wonder if you know you were sort of asking why hasn't he gotten more time in the big leagues? I mean, when you're a platoon guy playing for bad teams like the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Oakland Athletics, they they don't tend to value that. They, they would rather just play their young guys and they don't give much attention to you. So I wonder if it's just he needed to be in a winning situation where he's with a team that's contending for a wild card. And they go, hey, there's a lefty on the mound. We need someone who can mash lefties, get in there, you know, and gets the opportunity. And maybe that's just what he needed. So works out for us. We'll We'll take it for as long as he can produce. That's for sure. So finishing off the top five, coming in at number one this week, Terry, who has the honor?
2: That would be the redheaded stepfather, as I'm calling him, Justin Turner, 38 years old today, and he blew through a stop sign and was safe at home plate. <laughs> that was that was impressive. I mean, we were well on our way to a thrashing, but uh, had home runs in a couple of games and you know, he is J.D. Martinez replacement. That's the guy we replaced J.D. with. And, you know, Turner, kind of a, a, a slow start in the power department. So kind of seeing an uptick there. He is kind of hot and cold. So he was hot in this series, uh, six for 13. But then you go back to the Cardinals series, one for 10. Then against Atlanta, he was three for six in a in a short two-game series. Series before that, I forget, uh, that was the Philly series, 0 for 10. So hot, cold, hot, cold. We, we need him to figure it out. And on the last show, Hot Take Tuesday, um, one of the hot takes submitted by our followers was that uh, Adam Duvall would be traded. And I raised the question, I'm like, could Turner be traded? Now, gun to my head, I would still say Duvall out of the two because you're going to get Turner's probably going to get on base a little bit more. But the thing that teases me with Duvall is he's he's a much more bona fide power threat so far, especially at Fenway Park. So um, ideally, at the end of the day, we just need we need to see more of this from Turner is what I'd like to see. And, uh, you know, he's already kind of endeared himself, you know, to the community, as has his wife, his whole family, really. So um, it was good to see him go off. I'd I'd like to I'd like to see it a little bit more. And um, but, you know, he he really got the party started uh, on on Tuesday and Wednesday. So good series from Turner. Yep. Micah
1: this offense is different when Justin Turner is, is, is cooking. Um, you know, it, it does feel like it, it, that a lot of the production of this offense falls on the shoulders of Verdugo, Devers, Yoshida. And I guess now you can definitely throw Duran in that, that group, but all four of those are lefties. And when you are, when you need the bulk of your production to come from the left side, it, it puts a lot of pressure on, On those guys especially if they face a lefty so they really need turner to be that right-handed he doesn't necessarily even have to be a power bat although i mean obviously that would be huge but he just needs to be a a steady contributor and be able to drive runs in um he's not i don't think he's a guy that's going to hit especially at the age of 38 he's not going to hit you 28 30 35 home runs but can he drive can he hit 20 to 25 but drive in 90 or 100 is that possible i mean with with all these guys getting on in front of him that that should be possible so i mean they really just need him to to drive runners in and and drive the baseball and when he's going the offense just feels different It, it just gives them a different dynamic um, when Duvall comes back, I don't think there's nearly, there's going to be nearly as much pressure on him because Duvall can be that right-handed power bat. But until then, I think, uh, Turner, when he's going, the offense is, it, I think it goes from being really, really good to elite when he's cooking.
0: Yeah. And I remember when people were complaining because they thought, well, he's not good protection for Rafael Devers, you know, Devers is, you know, he's never going to see any good pitches. Turner's not adequate protection. Yes, he is. This, this is exactly what you need protection for Rafael Devers to look like. A guy who hits 280, has a little bit of pop, you know, admittedly not much. I, I agree. He probably tops out at 20 homers, something like that. But he's got enough and he can, he's a professional hitter, has good at bats, finds the gap usually. So, you know, when he's going this well offensively, you know, it, Devers will be fine, you know, and the rest of the offense just flows. Um, It it will be interesting to see what happens when Duvall is ready to come back because we've talked about it before, but how do you bench any of your three outfielders right now, the way they're going? And you can't bench Turner. I don't think they're willing to bench Casas because they're just really determined to make him work. So they're going to have a little bit of a logjam. Part of me wishes that Justin Turner could play second base. You know, like it would solve so many problems. Um, But it's a good problem to have one way or the other, and Justin Turner has been just the perfect addition this team needed. I agree. He is what J.D. Martinez should have been, except he's less of a pain in the ass, and, you know, he's having a good year. So uh, great addition in the offseason, and, you know, we'll see how much he can keep it up. Right now he's sitting 280 with some power. That might come down a little bit, but, you know, if he can still produce The way he is so far, this you know, in the early going, that offense just is so much better with him, with him in it, and with him hitting behind Devers. The way he is, so um, he's been exactly what they needed, and he had an awesome series against Seattle. So, big reason why they were able to score 22 runs was was Justin Turner. So, uh, can't go wrong with that. So, uh, we will wrap on the Seattle series. We're gonna move on to the next series the Red Sox have. They'll have an off day on Thursday, but then they're flying to San Diego to take on the sub-500 San Diego Padres. So, Terry, what is going on in San Diego?
2: So, the Padres, uh, we were speaking before the show, and I, I, I mentioned that the Red Sox have great timing for catching teams You know when they're not playing so well, uh, specifically offensively. Uh, Just in the last, uh, well, uh, let me start off by saying this. So the Padres have lost nine of their last 10. So this is an ugly stretch, uglier than what we've seen so far from the Red Sox this year at at any, at any stretch. But uh, in the last seven days, Padres are hitting just 195 as a team. Uh, They've only belted five home runs. They've only driven in 15 runs. Uh, And also in the last seven days, they have the sixth most strikeouts of any team uh, in Major League Baseball. Red Sox, by the way, uh, ranked 28th. Only two teams have struck out fewer. One, surprisingly, the Detroit Tigers. The other team uh, is the Guardians, who have been elite all season long at not striking out. But, um, and then as far as the overall season goes, as far as their pitching goes, they have the number 14th ranked rotation, which I think we can all agree is kind of underachieving. I mean, that's a, that is a better rotation than uh, 14th, but they do have the seventh best bullpen. So they've been holding, you know, leads late, uh, you know, to get to the 20 wins they do have. Um, so with all of that said, Uh, We uh, will start kind of a late night series here. Fortunately, it's a weekend series. So 9.40 p.m. on Friday, we have James Paxton going against Blake Snell. Micah, go ahead. Lead us off. Who do you like in that game?
1: Uh, I'm not sure if you saw this. It came out, I think, sometime this afternoon. But Manny Machado also fractured his hand. Uh um so he is they have not ruled out that he's they have not said he's definitely going on the il but i don't know if you fracture your hand how you don't go on the il so i think with him fracturing his hand that would be a guy that with james paxton going a lefty i feel like machado that would be a tough matchup for him so with machado um out i would assume um, I'm going to go with Paxton. He has another strong start. I think the Red Sox um, make Snell throw strikes, which he struggles to do, and I think the Red Sox take Game One.
0: Um, this is a tough one. The, the Machado news definitely changes that because he's he's the biggest part of their offense right now. Um, I I'm still not all the way on the James Paxton trust train um he was really good in his first start back and that was great to see I'm glad that he was able to walk off the mound and not limp off the mound for once um but I'm not all the way there I know Blake Snell hasn't been his usual self this year but he's still a pretty damn good pitcher and he's seen a lot of these Red Sox hitters before so I'm going to give the edge to the Padres just because of the pitching matchup I think that you know, Paxton should put together another good start against a struggling lineup, but we also said that going in, into the St. Louis series. Their lineup was struggling too, and they put it on us pretty quick. Um, so I'm not, you know, I, I think San Diego still has a lot of talent in that lineup. The the offense, it's not going to keep something like this, you know, something has got to give at some point. So um, I think they'll finally wake up a little bit, start to score some runs. So I'll take the Padres in game one.
2: So I just checked on Machado. See, last night, the the x-rays were negative. That's what the reports were. And then they did a CT scan, and that revealed a very small fracture. So perhaps it's small enough that they're not concerned. That still sounds sketchy as hell to me. Um, like Micah said, I don't know how you do. But, you know, how many guys are tougher than Manny Machado in, in MLB? Like, I mean... We hate him because we have a history uh, and he was a punk in that entire Dodger playoffs run, you know, stepping on guy's foot. You know, Steve Pierce was one. And but the dude, he's a legit badass, though. Uh, so I will agree with Jason here. Um, I I don't trust James Paxton. Um, being healthy is one thing. Being mechanically sound is another. He did have command issues. Uh, in his rehab stints, albeit looking very good in his last outing, touching 97, 98 on the gun, that that surprised me. I mean, I think he's our hardest thrower, isn't he? I mean, Sale, I guess, can creep up there, but his I, I bet over the course of however healthy his run is, I think Paxton might have a higher um, average velocity with his fastball. But having said that, it's going to take me a couple of starts, at least you know, or three or four, to really, uh, you know, gain a ton of confidence with Paxton. and And Snell has looked pretty good. His uh, his last three pitched six innings uh, in all three starts, three earned runs or fewer, uh, fair amount of strikeouts. I think I think that he should be good enough to to keep this. Uh, Red Sox lineup uh, at bay and um, also a lefty. So guys like Yoshida and and uh, I think Verdugo has, you know, some reverse splits a little bit. But um, still, I'm taking the uh, Padres game one. Uh, second game will be a little bit later of a start on Saturday night, 10, 10 p.m. That is Chris Sale versus Joe Musgrove. Micah, who do you like?
1: Looking at Musgrove's numbers, it's only four starts, but he's got a six six three ERA. That's kind of stunning because I really think he's one of the better pitchers in the National League. Um, I feel like this game, low scoring. I think Sale comes out, throws well. I think Musgrove also throws pretty well. Um, I feel like it's a coin flip. I want to take the Sox with my heart, but – I'm going to take the Padres in this one. I I don't know. I feel like Musgrove finds it in this one for whatever reason.
0: Yeah. Musgrove. It's weird. He's, he's just coming back after dropping a weight on his toe uh, in spring training. That's, that's what kept him out. That he happened, that happened in February and he just came back from that. So bit of a funky, uh, slightly embarrassing injury. And uh, yeah, I wonder if it's just, I don't know, maybe he rushed back a little bit. Maybe he's, not confident in his, uh, you know, his footwork or his landing foot, whatever it is. But something's up. He's not the Joe Musgrove of old. Um, Chris Sale's starting to look a little better. Again, uh, you know, same with Paxton. I'm not all the way there yet with Sale. I still have, uh, you know, some trust issues with him. But he is looking better, and I just think that he's going to see that San Diego lineup coming, and he's he's not going to be intimidated by it, especially the way they're going. So. I think you might actually get a really good Chris Sale performance Saturday night, and I think he'll outdo Musgrove, so I'll take the Red Sox in Game Two.
2: I will agree once again with Jason. Um, I have to take Chris Sale at face value at this point, despite all my skepticism. Um, my remaining skepticism on him just simply relies with how can he pitch against divisional opponents. Uh, You know, the Orioles and the Rays, namely, we still haven't faced the Yankees yet, but um, and and then my other skepticism would be just down the stretch, you know, is Chris Sale going to break down or not? But none of those uh, concerns are applicable against the Pirates on a night in May. So uh, Musgrove just four walks in his last start uh, on top of the eight hits not in love with that. He walked three, um, you know, in his previous start. They were actually both against the Dodgers, but um, I just, I got to go with with Chris Sale in this one, and I think Musgrove being a righty, if he's anything less than sharp, I I think with the momentum we were taking into this series, um, it, it could be a rough night for him, so... I'll take the Red Sox uh, in game two. Finally, game three. This is an interesting one. Uh, this will be a Sunday afternoon game, 4-10 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Corey Kluber against the guy many of us uh, wanted the Red Sox to keep, uh, Michael Waka. So... Kinda, kind of an interesting matchup here. One Bloom would certainly love to be on the right side of this weekend. So Corey Kluber versus Michael Waka, Micah. How do you see it?
1: Well, I plan on staying off Twitter uh, Sunday afternoon because I don't, I, I can't take the uh, the Bloom haters with Waka and especially Kluber. I think it'll be better if I just stay off. But I. I cannot pick any start where Corey Kluber starts. I, I can't pick the Red Sox in those games. He has shown absolutely nothing to convince me that he's trending in the right direction. His, his walks, I mean, he, he's already like two-thirds of the way to his walk total from last year, and we're only in May. So that is a huge problem because he doesn't throw hard enough to fool hitters. So he's going to give up his fair share of hits. And now that we're adding walks on top of that, it's just a recipe for disaster. So um, I I could see the Red Sox getting to Waka, um, but whatever the over is in this game, I would take it because I have zero faith in Corey Kluber. And I think uh, Twitter will be, brutal on Friday or Sunday evening, because it's going to be another story of why did we sign Corey Kluber?
0: Yeah, I'll be on Twitter on Sunday. Uh, This is going to be a fun one. Uh, This, this is going to be a bloody Sunday for, uh, for the guy, guy and bloom people. Um, Michael Walker has only allowed one earned run in the month of May in 19 innings pitched. So, He's going pretty well right now. He had a couple of rocky starts early on in the year, but he seems to be correcting course and uh, reverting back to the Michael Walker we saw here last year. And Corey Kluber blows. Um, there's really – there's nothing else you can say. He's cooked. He blows. Um, just another waste of $10 million. He is this year's Garrett Richards. He's just going to be a complete non-factor and a complete waste of money. Um, I think the Padres will obviously get to him because everybody gets to him. Um, I think Michael Walker could be out for some revenge too. So, you know, he'll, he'll probably pitch a pretty, pretty good game there. So I'm taking San Diego in game three. Cause that's, that's such a lopsided pitching matchup. It's not even funny.
2: Nobody was angrier on this crew with the Corey Kluber signing than I was. And I said, he's He's just gonna be this year's version of Rich Hill. That's what he's gonna be. and Rich hill's e r a is a full two runs lower. All right. Now I'm wishing he was as good as Rich Hill. um and the nerds will point out, you know, there are some metrics that show Kluber's better in a couple areas, like he's getting guys to chase more. Then, you know, but I, I'm more of a conventional stat guy. You know, you're either giving up a ton of runs or just a handful of runs. Uh, so I, I'll be on Twitter as well. I'll be the guy bringing the gasoline and the marshmallows. Um, I, would I be shocked if Kluber somehow navigates this freezing cold lineup? No, but, uh, you know, I, I, I've been face value the whole series. I, I think he, he could get thumped um you got a lot of savvy guys in that lineup um, one of them we're very familiar with won a couple of rings here <laughs> uh, Xander Bogarts so um I, I'm just yeah I'm going with a two to one win for the Padres uh, could be a pretty well we are facing Anaheim and we, we played against them pretty well so maybe it won't necessarily be a rough, rough West Coast swing but, Um, the diamondbacks after, uh, the angels, they've got a pretty sneaky, good pitching staff that could, uh, that could give us hell. So, um, never, never fun to go out West, but at least it's a weekend series and, uh, you know, we don't have to get up early the next day. So,
0: yeah, can't go wrong with that. If you're gonna have a 10 o'clock start, then uh, it, it better be on a weekend. So we will take it. Um. So with that, we will wrap up this episode. Uh, We'll be back with you guys for our Bastards Roundtable episode. Uh, You may have noticed, didn't talk a whole lot of pitching Red Sox-wise. Don't worry. We'll have you covered on the Roundtable episode. A lot of pitching talk coming your way on that one. So stay tuned for that. That'll come out on Friday. Um, And then after that, the weekend crew will have you guys to cover the Padres series And the midweek crew will be back with you guys next week for the Arizona series. So some interesting matchups coming up for sure. But with that, we will wrap it up, and we will see you guys later. Everyone, take care.